Well, good morning. Welcome, family and friends. Welcome to those of you online watching right now live. We're so glad that you are here with us. About a year ago, um, you know, I typically spend uh, about a year out, try to start working on the teaching schedule for the following year. And so about a year ago, I slotted uh, this Sunday as a day as a vision day. Because I thought, you know, being Palm Sunday, which is a day where Jesus was being celebrated as he was coming into Jerusalem, today could be a day that we could celebrate what God's doing in our church. And if we had updates to give, we could give them. And so let me assure you today, we've got things to celebrate as a church. And we've got updates to give. And so we're going to have a vision message today. Uh, We're still going to be in the book of Luke. We're actually going to be in Luke 6. And you can even turn to Luke 6 now. We're going to be there in a minute in your Bibles. But we just want to take some time celebrating what uh, God is doing in our church and get basically a pulse of the things that are catching our attention that we've been laboring over in prayer, the things that we've been, you know, uh, working towards. So we're going to get a pulse on some of our big efforts. And what we're going to do in a second as we look at Luke 6 is we're going to look a little bit closer at a moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. And this was a strategic moment for him. This was a defining moment for Jesus. And when you think about the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, his mission was basically to multiply disciples. He came and he taught about God's kingdom and about forgiveness, but he also had all these people coming to follow him, these disciples, these students. And he was not just making disciples, but he was making disciple-making disciples. And so Jesus had a ministry of multiplication when we look at his life. And the great commission that he gave us, the commission to go and make disciples of all the nations, that commission is a commission of multiplication. Because you can't reach the nations through just merely addition. You have to see multiplication of the gospel. You've got to see multiplication of God's workers and God's work. And so the Great Commission is a commission of multiplication. And I think the question we need to ask ourselves today, both as individuals and as a church family, is are we being faithful to multiply like Jesus did? Are we doing what Jesus did? And that gives us a chance to look closer at that. And if you're a guest today or if you're visiting CVC, you might be thinking, well, this would be kind of awkward. You know, it's kind of like a family moment. Exactly. Welcome to the family. (laughs) You get to just be here as we talk about who we are as a church. Uh, Actually, it's a phenomenal day for you to be here. Because as you're exploring churches or even exploring your relationship with God and Jesus, today will give you a chance to understand more about our heartbeat and what God's calling us to do. So it's a great day to be here. But with this concept of multiplication in mind and trying to do what Jesus did, I want to invite you into your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. And we're going to be in verses 12 through 19. And then we're going to launch from those into understanding what God's called us to do because there's some similarities in what we see Jesus doing, and then what we're doing because we're trying to do what Jesus did. And so Luke 6, verse 12 says this, In these days, what days? This is when Jesus was uh, going around the region of Galilee there in Israel, and he was preaching the gospel of good news of forgiveness and uh, the coming of God's kingdom. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night, can you say all night? All night. He continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, who he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip, 
and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, there's another James, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, there's another Simon, who's called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. I love how it's like, you know, the other Judas is like, I'm not that Judas. I'm the son of James. I'm not, the, I'm not that guy. And so we have these 12 disciples, and we're not going to let you out of the room until you pass the pop quiz on name all 12. Um, there's no pop quiz, just plain. Let's see what happens next. Verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. This is a phenomenal moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. I want to make four brief observations about what we just saw. The first observation is this. Jesus spends extended time in prayer. Jesus has a decision to make. He's about to go into the next you know, gear of his ministry. And so he's got a decision to make. And what's he do? He retreats away to pray and posture himself to connect more intimately, more intensely, more intentionally with the Father. And so here you have God the Son talking to God the Father through the power of God the Spirit, and he's praying. And what we have here, it says that he prayed all night. This is the longest uninterrupted time of prayer we have in Scripture of Jesus. We have Jesus praying, you know, we knew he was praying when he was fasting and, and in the wilderness for 40 days. But this is actually the longest uninterrupted time. He prayed all night. And so he knew he had a big decision to make and he basically uh, ramped up his prayers. And, and when we think about what a great model that is, that we need to continue to ramp up our prayers too. That he retreated, he found himself in a place where he can just get alone with the Father and just spend an extended time in prayer. That hopefully is a reminder that we all need the same thing. If Jesus needed it, we need it. And so to get away and to retreat, sometimes that's retreating to your car for 10 minutes during work, you know? Sometimes that's being very intentional about marking off a day or two in your, in your calendar where you get away and just spend time with the Lord. And so we just see this great model of Jesus um, going away to pray all night. Also, we see Jesus select leaders, Jesus is now selecting leaders. He went up on this mountain with his disciples. Now, the common mistake we make is when we hear that phrase, Jesus and the disciples, we always see Jesus with like 12 guys following him everywhere he goes. That's not absolutely inaccurate, but it's not always accurate either. Because what we see here is that there's a massive crowd of disciples. So all these disciples, all these people who basically set down whatever they were doing to follow Jesus, to be his student, because to be a disciple means to be a student, an active learner, all these people are following him. So this crowd was likely in the hundreds, hundreds of people on the mountain while Jesus goes and prays. Then he comes back to this massive group of people and he picks only 12 of them. And he picks those 12 to be his apostles. So he's now separating the apostles from the disciples. These apostles are going to have a unique special mission. The word apostles in the Greek is the word apostolos. It means a messenger or a sent one. And so these are going to be men who are going to be sent as a representative of Jesus as he continues his ministry. No wonder he spent all night in prayer, right? Praying before this big decision. So we can pray for little decisions. We can pray for big decisions. But he's now selecting his leaders. And we're going from one person preaching the kingdom of God 
to now having 12 additional. You know what that's called? Multiplication. You go from one to 12. And so we see Jesus select leaders. Also, we see Jesus is expanding the reach of his ministry. So Jesus comes down the mountain now with all his disciples, and there's this massive crowd of people waiting for him. And so you've got this huge crowd, probably in the thousands now. Some are disciples and followers of Jesus. Some are people who've traveled anywhere as far as maybe 100 miles away, and they don't have cars. And so we see Jesus, you know, launching this ministry around the Sea of Galilee in Israel. But what happens in Galilee can't stay in Galilee. It's not going to stay in Galilee. And so he's now extending his reach into different locations as people are hearing about him. And it says here, people came from all Judea, as far as Jerusalem. Jerusalem's about 80 miles away from like Galilee, all right, the Sea of Galilee. And so you've got, you've got all these people from all of Judea. This is the southwest region of Israel. And you've got people coming from this region and people as far as Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, you see up as like far now northwest. These are coastal places. And you've got people up there now. This is in the, in the first century. This was called Phoenicia, which ironically on a Palm Sunday, Phoenicia is the Greek and Roman concept of land of the palms. Okay? So you've got people now coming from Tyre and Sidon. And they're now traveling away from Tyre and Sidon, which is modern day Lebanon, to come hear Jesus. And so his impact is now reaching way beyond Galilee and the immediate region now to many locations. He's extending the reach of the locations that he's impacting with his ministry. What happened in Galilee can't stay in Galilee. And then, fourthly, we see Jesus is increasing the impact of what he has to offer. Why are the people coming to Jesus? It says they're coming to hear him and to be healed by him. Why are they coming to hear him? Because when Jesus teaches, it's unlike anyone else they've ever heard. He teaches with authority. He teaches with the authority of God because he is God. He's God in the flesh, the incarnate one, right? And so when he teaches, it's just mind-blower. People are like, we've never heard anything like this. So as he's teaching about forgiveness, as he's teaching about God's kingdom, as he's teaching about grace rather than works and all of these things, people are flocking to him because of the authority of his teaching and the message he brings, and they're coming because he's healing them. And he's healing them to authenticate his message. So people come with diseases, demonic possession, all these things, and he's healing them. These are, if you will, his resources. These are the things that he uniquely has to offer. And now more and more people are experiencing them. And because he's picked now the apostles, if you fast forward, he's going to multiply them even more. When you go to Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, it says that he calls the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to be healed. Why did people come to Jesus? They wanted to hear him preach and they wanted to be healed. What did he just empower the apostles to do? To preach the gospel so people could hear and he could heal them. So he just multiplied his resources. Why did he do all these things? Again, because he's trying to make disciple making disciples as the gospel is going out into the world. So we want to do what Jesus did. And so as a church, for example, when we say that we're inviting people to new life in Christ, at the root of what we're saying is that we want to take this message of forgiveness through belief in Jesus and his death and resurrection to a world that so desperately needs it. We want people to know that they're going to be restored into relationship with God. 
And so as we invite people to new life in Christ, at the root of that is we want to share this message, but it means we're also making disciple making disciples who will continue to take that message out like all the generations around the world have done before us. That's what we mean when we say inviting people to new life in Christ. Also, as we think about the next 10 years, and you've heard this before, if, if you've remembered, um, we're saying, well, what, what can that look like if God's really with us in the next 10 years as we're doing that? And our goal is to see a thousand stories of new life in Christ captured through baptism in the next decade. Some of those have already happened. So basically, we know that God can give us a lot more than a 1,000, but we're going to start with a 1,000 stories of new life, people who've come to faith in Jesus and then joyfully and obediently uh, declare their faith in him through the waters of baptism. And so that's what we're all working toward. That's the, that's the flag on the hill, if you will, that we're all going for as we're inviting people to new life in Christ, as we're making disciples who will make disciples. But what's our approach to doing that? Well, let's just do what Jesus did. He prayed. He went up on the mountain and he prayed. You know what we need to do? We need to multiply our prayers. Uh, we've been really working at this hard the last year and a half or so. That we're trying to increase the culture of our prayer. We want to increase the culture of us in the area of multiplying disciples. But part of that's going to mean we have to continue to raise the culture of prayer here. We don't want to just be a church that has prayer, but to be a church of prayer. And so if you think about recent efforts, for example, and how we've seen movement, and by the way, we've seen movement, okay? Um, there's a lot more prayer happening in this church, whether it's our elders and our staff, or whether it's our life groups or in the services. And so when we, when we come together, we've seen, you know, we've gone through the 21 days of breakthrough prayer book as a church. Our quarterly recommended read was Praying the Scriptures by Donald Whitney. Uh, a couple months ago, we had a very gifted brother in Christ come, Daniel Henderson, who taught us how to really have more life-changing prayer times and prayer gatherings that are more, you know, scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based, rather than just kind of like shallow, me-centered prayers. And so we've really seen the prayer climate here grow. And so we're praising God for that, but we want it to continue to grow. We want to continue to multiply our prayers. Well, what's that going to look like for us? Well, it means basically we're not just wanting to make more prayer meetings. We don't just want to fill up the calendar with prayer meetings. We just want more prayer in our meetings. So let's take the meetings we have and just continue to be more prayerful in them. For example, our worship time here. Like if you've noticed, we tend to have a little bit more prayer time in the service. We want to continue to grow in that area because we don't just want to talk about God. We want to talk to God. And so even in our worship setting, having more prayer here. Our life groups, for example. We want to continue to see our life groups grow and be in you know, groups that pray together. Sometimes life groups are reduced to one person says a brief prayer to start the group time, one person says a brief prayer to end the prayer time, and there's just a lot of talk in between. Well, there's nothing wrong with studying. There's nothing wrong with connecting and growing together. That's the purpose of those groups. But let's grow in our prayerfulness in those groups. So again, not just talking about God, but talking to God. So 15 to 30 minutes or so in our life groups, just really connecting with God about whatever we discussed as we're growing together. Also, we think about more on-the-spot prayer. This is just when you're talking to somebody and you can tell there's a need in their life or maybe they're celebrating something God's doing. Uh, we typically do what in that situation? When we hear about something, we'll say, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And, and that's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. Hopefully we follow up on that. But, but growing in our prayers means we're going to just take a minute to go, you know what? Can we just pray right now? I mean, think about the energy you're going to spend to go like, oh, I want to pray for you. And then down the road, like, oh, I got to pray. Well, I can't pray now, but I want to pray. You know, it's just like, just pray then on the spot. 
And so let's say, hey, can we pray about that and just pray with them? Which, by the way, when you're out in the community and you're just trying to live for Christ and share Christ, most people will let you pray for them. It's just a phenomenal experience. I've shared this before. I'm trying to kind of gain uh, momentum in this again in my life. I kind of let it slide off my plate, but I'm trying to do it again. Even like when you're dining out and you're about to eat and your server is at your table, there's been times I've just said, hey, I'm about to pray for the food before I eat it. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And it's amazing, like the look on the face that you get. I've never been told no, um, but I've had people all of a sudden burst in tears because they've got a loved one who's sick or hurting or they're just going through a rough time or they're just like, wow, yeah, I've met fellow believers going like, oh, you don't know how refreshing this is. I'm really having a hard day. Like you just don't know how God's going to use you in that moment. So there's on-the-spot prayers. That, that's what it means to multiply our prayers. Seek nights are our nights of prayer where we gather. We should never have little tiny turnouts for seek nights. We should fill this room with brothers and sisters in Christ going, let's pray together. And so our next one's May 15th. And then also all the other times during the week that we have people in our facility or in other meeting gatherings praying together. Uh, we have Sunday morning, for example. Every service, there's people praying in their prayer room for what's taking place in this room and all the rooms on the property. And so right now, there's a group of people praying for what's happening in here, that God would move. And so we have an 8.15, uh, 9.30, 11. We need more people at 6.30. We have some people at 7.15 that pray with the teaching pastor before they teach. And so we want to multiply the prayer going on in those environments. And so that's what it means to multiply our prayers. If we truly want to increase our disciple multiplication culture here, it means we're going to have to multiply our prayers, just like Jesus did. Also, it means we have to multiply our leaders. If we're going to do what Jesus did, we're going to multiply our leaders. He picked 12 leaders, multiplied himself for the task that was ahead of him. In the same way, we need to be diligent about multiplying ourselves and raising up leaders. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the Apostle Paul said this, And what you have heard from me, he's talking to Timothy, his apprentice, right? Well, you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Look at the generation of impact that we see happening here. Here you have Paul, who's learned from others, right? So you have Paul, who's teaching Timothy, and Timothy is supposed to teach others who will teach others. So we see leadership and discipleship investment to the fourth generation. Is your relationship with Jesus impacting to the fourth generation, or does it just stop with you? Now, obviously, our greatest heart's desire is those in our home, our children, our loved ones, that they would come to know Christ. But also outside of our home, who are you raising up in spiritual leadership? Who's investing in you as a spiritual leader? And so we want to be intentional about multiplying our leaders. On that note of leadership, I just can't uh, pass this moment. I just want to say a huge, huge thank you to so many of you that do serve, that do lead here at CVC. We have this uh, fruit of new life quality of a disciple we call a servant. So many of you are truly a servant here. And so whether it's leading in a ministry, participating, or as a life group leader, or you show up at events and serve, so many of you serve. And we just want to say, we can't do it without you. Not only do we have a great team, a staff team here, but all of you that are serving are making a difference. And I need to let you know, people are experiencing new life in Christ because of you. Lives are being changed because you're serving. So thank you for serving. And with that being said, multiply yourself. Like if whatever you're doing for the Lord, if you stop tomorrow, 
would whatever you're doing also stop tomorrow? Or do you have an apprentice? Do you have someone that you're investing in? Do you have someone that you're grooming to impart spiritual leadership to like Jesus did, like Paul did, and all the other examples that we have? And so we want to continue to be intentional here at CVC at multiplying leaders. There's an there's a understanding, and some of you in business leadership understand this progression. There's a progression of leadership that we need to be really um, understanding about. First is this. You first learn to be a leader of yourself, Right? You, you grow as a disciple. This is your personal discipleship. You're learning how to lead yourself in the ways of the Lord. And then at some point, you start to lead others. What God has taught you, you start to teach others. And then as you grow and mature, eventually you become a leader of other leaders. And then you impart the lessons you've learned and the wisdom that God's given you and the abilities you've gained to others who are now new in leadership. And then if God calls you to it, down the road, you can become a leader of a department, a ministry area. And then if God calls you to it, you can go to the next level, which is leading an organization. And so we have a leadership process we call the greenhouse, which just like you put plants in a greenhouse to grow and cultivate, right? We have a leadership greenhouse to help us walk through these progressions. And so as you're thinking to yourself, what's my next step of leadership? Where are you now? Are you one who's leading self? Have you had the opportunity and the calling to lead others yet or to lead leaders or maybe God's calling you to lead a department or lead an organization? And we want to continue to raise up leaders. We want to see church planters, missionaries, pastors, ministry leaders, life group leaders, servants, people serving in ministry. We want to continue to grow the leadership that God has here at CVC. And so a big goal for our staff is to continue to grow in their ability to develop and deploy leaders for God's work because that's what Jesus did, and we want to do what Jesus did. That also means there's going to be times where we have shifts and transitions of the staff that we already have. Uh, sometimes they're from, for strategic reasons. Sometimes uh, we have people resign. Sometimes we have to let people go. Uh, some of those things have happened recently. As I've been thinking about some of the shifts that we're going through right now in some of our leadership, one of the things I'm extremely grateful for is that none of the changes that we have experienced as a church has been because of sin. Like, you need to understand something right now. There are churches that are absolutely struggling because there's stuff going on in their staff because of immorality and sin decisions. We haven't had that conversation here for many years. And would you just continue to pray that God puts his hand on our staff, and that's a conversation that we won't need to have, that God would shield us from our leaders making decisions that disqualify them from leadership. And so we don't want to see that happening. We're so grateful that that's not the case with transitions that we typically experience here at CVC. Now, when we see shifts in our leadership, what that also does is it opens up doors of opportunity. And when we try to think about staff, for example, sometimes we're going to find the ideal staff person outside the walls of the church that will come in. But oftentimes, we miss finding the people that might already be here within the walls. And so we believe that there's a lot of people in this church, a church of our size, that God's grooming you and growing you ready for whatever ministry leadership is next. And so we want to continue to be a place that grows in detecting who you are, connecting with you, then helping you fulfill God's calling in your life, whether that's inside or outside the walls of the church. And so we know that that was going to come with shifts. Here's an example of one of the shifts that's been months and months and months and months and months in discussion that we finally needed to implement. So 
two of our staff, we have an amazing staff here, but two of the staff have been just faithful uh, warriors for Christ in the area of student ministry, Pastor Rick Eimers and Pastor Joe Valenti. They've been tag-teaming our student ministry for years. And if that wasn't enough, over the last couple of years, they added to it just this little tiny thing called missions, you know, just this little missions area, right? And so they've been doing student ministry and missions for the last couple of years, and we knew that wasn't sustainable. We knew that at one point, we're going to need a pastor that's specifically over the area of serve, a pastor of serve, which internal serving, but especially our local, our regional, and our global serving opportunities. And so as we've been praying and discussing with these guys, one of the shifts that we're in the process of making right now is we're shifting Pastor Rick out of student ministry to be that serve pastor. So he's going to come online and start helping, you know, with the internal, the local, the regional, the global serve. And so he's been doing a lot more, you know, uh, study and research about church planting and what it means to launch church planters and missionaries. And so just be praying for him and see, you know, it's hard to step out of a, a role you've been in for a long time and grow into a new role. And he's, he's grabbing it by the horns and he's going for it. Don't bug him yet. He's not ready for you, okay? He's, he's still being groomed. But then that leaves Joe Valenti to continue leading our student ministry, both junior high and high school. Both those guys now can focus on detecting and developing leaders in those areas. And so that's one example of the shift that we see in leadership as we're trying to multiply leaders. But it's not just with our staff. It's with you. It's with what God has called you to do. In fact, um, one of the ways we've been celebrating leadership multiplication recently is sharing with you every now and then what we call multiply moments. These are just demonstrations where we see multiplication happening in leadership that demonstrates and celebrates what we're asking. Uh, so our multiply moment for today is with a woman named Co Kathy Kozak. Kathy is leading a Christ-based recovery ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. We, we abbreviate it to CR, so we don't always have to say Celebrate Recovery. But here's what, here's what uh, God has done in her life and through her life in the area of new life in Christ and leadership multiplication. She says, I first attended Celebrate Recovery while incarcerated. When I was released from prison, a ministry worker visited our halfway house and told me about CVC. I met with Pastor Dale, listened to one of your sermons, and knew I had found my church. I felt God tugging at my heart immediately to join CVC. During my membership interview, Pastor Dean asked if there was anything I would like to see at CVC. And without thinking about it, I said, well, I'm a little surprised that we don't have a CR. He looked at me kind of shocked and asked what I knew about it. And after I explained all about being in the program while I was on the inside and how it helped me forgive and deal with my codependency and as a result allowed me to have a more intimate relationship with Christ, he turned around, grabbed the big CR starter kit box, sort of chuckled and said, I've had this for a while now. I've just been praying and looking for the leader. I launched CR in September of 2017 with just me and two male co-leaders. Right now, we have a total of four male and four female leaders. We have led new believers to accept Christ. We've witnessed lives changed and marriages saved. I identified one woman named Bridget who displayed natural leadership qualities that I thought would be a good candidate for a leadership role soon after she began coming to our CR meetings. She told me she would be interested in leadership, but she did not attend CVC. She attended Refuge Community Church, which just so happens to be a CVC church plant. I took her under my wing anyway and became her accountability partner and sponsor. Over the next few months, as I witnessed her growth, I prayed about it and eventually felt led to approach Pastor Don Sallow of Refuge Church regarding launching a CR. 
After several meetings and much prayer, he agreed that he was feeling called to launch as well. In discussions about potential leaders, I suggested Bridget. So on March 19th, 2019, this is just last month, the Sallows and Bridget launched CR at Refuge. Bridget now has a purpose for her pain. She gets to use experiences each week to help others and be a blessing to them. I have been asked also to be a Celebrate Recovery State Representative Apprentice for Cuyahoga and Portage Counties. So I will be launching other CRs in the future once my apprenticeship is complete. Do you see the leadership multiplication just happened there? One, you've got a church plant. Someone who's sitting where you're sitting felt like God called them to plant a church. They planted a church in a tough area, you know, and is, is called to doing that. And then you have this woman who God used to raise up leaders. One of them then went over there to start Celebrate Recovery, and then she's going to be doing it too. This is, this is what it looks like to multiply leaders, and this is what God does with us when we're trying to do what Jesus did. And so if we're going to increase our culture, of disciple multiplication, we have to multiply not just our prayers, but our leaders. We also have to multiply our locations. We see that Jesus' reach did not stay in Galilee, right? But it went out to the region beyond. If we're going to do what Jesus did, then we also have to multiply the locations of where we are making an impact. And we know that God has not just called us here to just 77 Wallings to be just this big tree that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But God's called us to not just be the church gathered, but the church scattered. And we scatter all over Northeast Ohio and beyond, taking the message of new life in Christ out there in lots of different types of group or um, fruit-bearing context. So instead of just one tree, we want to produce groves of fruit-bearing new life missionaries all over Northeast Ohio that can change the communities that they live in. The primary ways we do that first is being a life house. If we have new life in Christ in us, that new life in Christ will spill out of us into our immediate neighbors. And so we know that our Lifehouse initiative is challenging all of us to basically adopt our most immediate eight neighbors, the people in our neighborhood, and know them by name, pray for them with precision, knowing what's going on in their life, love on them and serve them well, and also, as God opens the doors, courageously and carefully share the gospel of Jesus with our neighbors. This is going to make a big difference in your neighborhood if you do this. Like, for example, there's this phrase in, in church leadership that says something like this. Would the church notice, I'm sorry, would the community notice if your church disappeared? Like, if tomorrow, if this building and all of us just were gone, would the local communities even notice we're gone? Would they even notice we're missing at all? What, what difference were we really making? Well, the church is not a building, right? What is the church? The church is the people. Some of you are like, people? Yes, people, right? It's the people of God. So if the church is removed and it doesn't make a difference, then what is the church doing what it's supposed to do? So the question then becomes, as a lifehouse, if you move tomorrow, would your neighbors even know? If you move tomorrow, what Jesus-centered fruit would be missing from your community? And if the answer is your neighbors wouldn't know and nothing would be missing, then are you doing your job as a true life house? And so if we all were truly living as a life house wherever God put us, it's going to multiply our locations and the impact that God has. Also life groups. 
when you have people that come together to grow together and you're, you're praying about the community and you're praying about what's going on inside your group, you're praying about what's going on outside your group, where we start to plant these life groups, it starts to cultivate the soil of spiritual community, Jesus-centered community in those areas. And we need to multiply our life groups, but not just the amount of life groups, but it's time to really be more strategic about where the life groups are because there, we have a pretty wide footprint of where people come from but there are some communities where CVCers live, but there's no life group there, not one. And so no one's really getting those extra roots into the ground to, to develop the spiritual community and cultivate the soil in that community. So some of you, maybe it's time to start praying about, is it time to launch a life group or co-launch a life group in my area with the people that come here from around that area? And so we want to be more strategic about that. Church planting. Just like Don Stallows and Refuge Community Church and some of the other plants, when, when God puts on someone's heart, say, I feel like being a church planter, I want to reach more people for Christ somewhere in Northeast Ohio, and we feel called to support and encourage and equip, maybe even financially partner, then that's one of the ways that we can multiply locations. And of course, the other one that we've been talking about now for over a couple of years is campuses. See, a church plant is someone who says, God's called me to do this, and then we try to you know, equip and encourage and you know, celebrate that and be part of it. But a campus is another extension of CVC, our people, our vision, our DNA, our resources, our staffing. And so we've been talking and praying now for a while about a campus. And so part of the pulse of today is getting to share some exciting updates with you about campuses, because a lot of times we come up and talk about campuses, but then we can't share specifics because we're still praying and exploring. So here's the campus update for you as we're trying to multiply our locations. Uh, the time frame. We want to launch the campus, our first campus, in fall of 2020. So next fall is when we want to launch the campus. We've been praying about where to go because there's a lot of great options. Our strategy is not just to parachute into some place and go, we'll just go here. Our strategy is where do we have life groups? Where do we have community and leaders? And then we'll respond to the community there by raising up a campus out of that. And so that was a big indicator for us. Where do we have leadership? Where do we have people already cultivating the soil? And then how can we make that more you know, precise by bringing a campus there? And so as we've been praying and exploring for a long time now, we feel like we have the area that God wants us to go to. And so the campus launch in the fall is going to be targeting the Brunswick and Strongsville area. That's not exactly what I thought originally. There's some other areas, but as we looked at you know, what God was doing and felt the, the tug, that's going to be the zone that we're targeting. We don't know exactly where yet, but somewhere in that zone. We've got life groups there. We've got spiritual leadership within range. And there's a lot of need for people to come to Christ in that area as well. And of course, the next big question you might be asking is who? Who's going to be the campus pastor? Because we've been talking and praying about that for a long time as well. And originally, we thought about hiring someone from without, then incubate them in here, which is fine. But do we have someone internally that we can raise up? And so we started discussions last year, and we've gone in and out with prayer and conversation for a long time with one particular candidate that we thought could be the ideal launch person. This person's done some church planting assessment in the recent months. Um, they got a green light from their assessment. We've had more prayer and more conversations. And as of this last week, really, it's been finalized. And uh, we have a lot to do on the, on the back end of this, but we know that he's up to the task, and we believe that God's called him to this purpose. And so our campus pastor for that campus is going to be Pastor Josh Stone. Josh Stone's going to be heading out to be a leader over that campus. So that's a celebration. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> So 
So what's our next steps? Be praying for Josh and Deborah and us as we start to move into the next season of like, okay, developing a strategy, developing a, you know, a launch team, a launch strategy. We've been driving around over there like praying, like, okay, Lord, where do you want us? You know, is it, is it going to be more Brunswick? Is it going to be more Strongsville? Is it going to be something in between? We just know it's over there, and we're just trying to sense where God wants us. So be praying for all those next steps to unfold as we start to recalibrate budget and all these different things to try to make sure that all of this can happen. So uh, very, very exciting times for us here at CVC. If we're going to increase our disciple multiplication culture, it means we're going to have to multiply our locations. And it means we're going to have to multiply our leaders and our prayers. But it also means we need to multiply our resources. Jesus took what he had, and he used them in a way that multiplied and impacted more areas, but also he distributed them to the apostles so they could be used at a greater level. He basically, in essence, multiplied his resources. In the same way, we want to be faithful to multiply our resources. And when we say that, I'm talking about maximizing and multiplying what God has given us to be faithful, faithful in stewarding our property, our resources, our financial resources, our people resources, just to continue to multiply what God has allowed us to have for his kingdom. If we want to do what Jesus did, we're going to do that. And if you call CVC home, uh, one of the first things that comes to your mind is Unleash. And for those of you who are newer to CVC, Unleash is our two-year campaign that we started about, about a year and a half ago. The goal is to raise $2 million over the course of two years, and we picked three major initiatives. Neighbors, which means 17.5% of the $2 million, which would be $350,000, would be set aside to kind of like this war chest for the startup cost for the campus, all right? And then 12.5% was the nation's piece, and so we partnered with Withcliffe Bible Translators, with the island in Indonesia that we've adopted with the unreached people group on that island, the Soli people on Pearl Island. Neither one of those names are accurate. We have to kind of, you know, use cryptic terms because of the hostility to the gospel on that island, and we don't want to protect God's work there. And so uh, $250,000 earmarked for Bible translation efforts to translate uh, significant portions of the Bible in their heart language. And then the third initiative was Next Generation, We wanted to unleash not just our potential to translate the Bible and make an impact on another community, but also unleash the next generation from the $1.4 million mortgage debt that we were carrying last year. And so uh, 70% of the $2 million goes toward killing the debt and all those things. And so where are we today? Uh, Here's the status on Unleash. As of March 31st, we had raised $2,128,776, which is 106% of the original goal, and we no longer have any debt. And so we're praising God for that work. That's amazing. The outcome of that, the debt's been paid off. Uh, we have made some adjustments in our next generation ministry. I'll share in a minute. Also, uh, the Bible translation process is still going. And they're, they're making leaps and bounds to the Bible translation. Two stories that have come off the island uh, from the last report that they gave us. One was about a woman who, um, well, I want to read it because I don't want to miss any of this. She, it was an unbeliever in the North region who was helping with testing for the gospel of Mark. They basically tried the language on for size, right, as they're, as they're trying to um, uh, translate. And through that process, she received Christ. 
She now attends church regularly, and she brings her husband and two children. And so that's multiplication, right? And because of her experience, she wants to learn more about Scripture translation. So now she's joined the team and is serving on the team to help translate the Scriptures, okay? She was an unbeliever months ago. (laughs) Second, another young man who was part of the dominant religion on the island was invited by a friend to be, you know, testing this stuff out too as part of the translation team. And through the reading and listening to the Scripture as part of the comprehension testing, he became interested in Christianity. He attended church with his friend, prayed to receive Christ, and now he not only attends church faithfully, he's also beginning to help with the translation process as well. And so God's already using the translation process to reach people, and it's not even done yet. So we're very excited about that. Also with the uh, next generation piece, we wanted to, you know, we, we paid off the debt, that's gone. We wanted to pour a significant amount of those funds back into next generation, specifically like children's and youth. Our children's budget for the last several years, and maybe even longer, here was last year's children's ministry general budget. It was $34,215. We praise God for that, but it just wasn't enough. So because of Unleash, we were able to roll out this year their budget at $70,136. So we're able to give more to the children's ministry to impact the next generation. Also, our student ministry, last year their budget, and I just cringe when I see this number, it was $16,000. And now we see it's up to 42,000. So we're really able to start investing more heavily in the ministries to the next generation because of Unleash. So what's that mean for the future? Because we've hit our original goal and have surpassed it. Well, here's the thing. As leadership has continued to pray and have conversations, we believe God's called us to a two-year campaign. We felt called to a two-year campaign that even though we've hit our original goal, we still want to complete the two years. So like, for example, I haven't fulfilled... Our commitment, you know, the Allens made a commitment to unleash. We haven't fulfilled it yet. And so we want to keep our two-year commitment and fulfill it. This gives us all an opportunity who've made a commitment to fulfill our commitment. I kind of wonder if God knows we're going to need more than we originally set out for, right? And so um, and this also allows those of you who are newer to CVC to go, I want to be part of what God's doing for the future, to jump in and be part of Unleash. You can get some of the Unleash information at the front counter for more specifics on how to be engaged with that. But what we're going to do is stick with the same three initiatives, same percentage breakdown, and just drill down deeper into those three initiatives. We're not taking our foot off the gas. We want to finish strong these next six months and raise what God feels he wants us to raise at the end of two years. And so... 17.5% is still going to go toward campus launch funds. 12.5% still going to the solely Bible translation efforts, either more of the Bible in the two languages being translated or possibly starting to nibble on one of the third dialects of the island and translate some in the third dialect, perhaps. And then also take that money for next generation, split that 70% of the 70% will continue to go into areas targeting next generation, 30% going to some of our overall capital expenditures and budget repair funds that we need to keep at a healthy level. So that's where we're going to go moving forward. So we want to finish strong with the two-year campaign that God's given us. That's one of the ways we're multiplying our resources. And if we're going to be serious about disciple multiplication, we're going to need to multiply our prayers, multiply our leaders, multiply our locations, and multiply our resources. What does that mean for you? For you and for us, it means we want to be faithful to do what Jesus did. And what I want you to do is you processing how you personally can be part of this is I want you to go to your worship guide for a second, please, and pull out the insert that we put in there for you. 
And you're going to find two things on that insert. One, you're going to find prayer targets on one side. These are just ways that you can be praying over everything I've shared with you today. Would you please put this somewhere visible? Your coffee table, your refrigerator, your car, grab a couple extras if you want, you know. And would you just pray for at least one of these bullet points every day? Just pick one. It doesn't have to be chronological. Just pick one and be praying for those on a regular basis. Keep that visible. On the back side are some questions for reflection. The first question is this. What excites you most about what you heard today? As you think about what you heard and and what that means for you, what that means for us, what really grabs your heart? And would you share that? Someone on your ride home, In fact, if you really want to just bless some of our staff members, would you just share that with any of our staff on your way out today? Just grab one of our staff and go, hey, by the way, really fast, I'm really excited about what I heard about this. Just share that. That'd be a gift to our staff. Second, what's God telling you to do about it? How can you not just be a consumer, but be more of a contributor? What's God calling you to do or to keep doing? Thirdly, when will you start? Sometimes we're such good people of intentions that we have these great ideas, but then we don't actually start them. <laughs> and so we can easily have the same conversation next year, like, oh, yeah, I was going to do this thing. Whatever God's calling you to do, when are you going to do it? When are you going to take that first step? And also, who can help you? Who's a person that you can go to? Maybe someone who's mentoring you, someone who's brought you. you know, one of our staff or a strong, mature Christian who you can just say, hey, I'm praying about this. Um, I think this is something God's put on my heart. Would you, would you be part of that journey with me? Who can help you? And for some of you, what you're most excited about today is through all the church family talk, embedded in that, you heard about this Savior who loves you. I mean, next week, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. We're going to have a bunch of people here. We're praying they come to Christ. But maybe today is the day that you know you need Christ. Your next step is just to give your life to Christ. You can do that. You can just tell the Lord you need him. You want to follow him. You want new life in Christ. If you do that, mark on your program that you gave your life to Christ today, and we'll get back in touch with you. Or maybe you just want to talk about Jesus. Hey, I heard some things today I'm curious about. Here's my email. Here's my phone number. Would you, would you get in touch with me? If you're online, you can send an email to us at connect at cbconline.org. Just reach out. We'll get in touch with you. But let's take what we've talked about today. Let's commit it to prayer for a minute, shall we? Lord, thank you so much for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for the joy that is ours in Christ. Thank you that we even have a pulse, that we're not dead, that we're alive in Christ, we're new in Christ. But I do pray for anyone who's exploring a relationship with you today, that you would just continue to draw them into relationship with yourself, Lord. They would learn about this Jesus who loves them and died for them and rose for them, wants to spend forever and eternity with them. Father, for our guests today, people visiting, Lord, maybe they're exploring you or church, I pray that you use today to help guide them to where they need to go and what they need to do. And Father, for us to call CVC home, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. You're so good to us. We praise you for all the things we've celebrated today. But Lord, we also ask that the things that we're laying down before you, that you would guide us and direct us and lead us. Open doors, close doors. Guide, direct. Lord, supply the need all these things, Lord. And even now, as we prepare to receive our offering, Lord, would you take these resources, help us steward them well, and multiply them for the work of your kingdom. This is what we ask in Jesus' name. We all sit together.